0: Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. We all know that the COVID-19 pandemic has been a whirlwind. We've seen the public health response evolve rapidly this past year and a half, and the demands that the pandemic response have had on federal agencies have shifted responsibilities, resources, and more across the government. And even with the trillions of dollars in pandemic response funding, pouring out and hundreds of millions of COVID-19 vaccinations administered, we're still not out of the woods yet. So amid this crucial public health moment we're in, it's important to ask, what's most effective for us to get out of this pandemic? Are our resources being used to their greatest potential? How can we create oversight to ensure that the public health response to COVID-19 is the best it can be? That's where certain oversight agencies like the Government Accountability Office comes in. GAO is a nonpartisan and independent agency that conducts oversight work for Congress. It looks at how our taxpayer dollars are spent and provides information and reports to recommend how our government can improve their services and activities. Amid the many areas of oversight that GAO orchestrates, the office does a lot of accountability work around healthcare and public health. And more recently, GAO officials covering public health Have had their eyes set on overseeing COVID-19 related activities. Today we're going to take a look into the public health portfolio at GAO to see how the office has unveiled new insight into the pandemic response in the US, challenges in overseeing the madness that has been COVID-19, and how the pandemic is creating secondary consequences and challenges in normal activities in public health agencies. To figure all of this out, I have GAOs. Healthcare Director, Mary Dennegan McCulley, to guide us through these questions. She's been overseeing a portfolio of public health audits, especially around COVID-19. Okay, Mary, thank you so much for joining us on HealthCast today.
1: Hi, Melissa. Thank you for having me.
0: So let's start by looking at the GAO healthcare team. You've been with GAO since 2001, so I'm sure your team has seen a variety of issues and audits come up. Can you go through the type of work your team does and how the oversight process works?
1: Sure. So I'm with um, GEO's healthcare team, and this team specifically oversees federal programs that affect really the lives of all Americans, including care for the el- elderly, the low income individuals, and our veterans. And if you look at the cost of federal healthcare programs altogether, it represents a quarter of all federal spending. So ensuring that these programs are wisely spent and that they provide the access to the quality care, protect the public, is really key and something that we continue to have done and continue to keep our eyes on. So for my portfolio specifically, I look at um, public health. And public health is it can be really diverse. It can range from the op- opioid crisis to the global threat of antimicrobial resistance. It also includes the federal medical response to disasters such as hurricanes, floods, and fires, um, as well as addressing highly infectious diseases like Ebola, SARS, and of course now the COVID nineteen pandemic.
0: Wow, sounds like you have a lot on your plate. And as you were just talking about, more recently, you've been very hands-on with GAO's work overseeing the COVID nineteen pandemic impacts and response. So what? Aspects of the pandemic have you been overseeing and what challenges have come up with that oversight?
1: Yeah, well, we're overseeing quite a lot, just about every aspect that the federal government is involved with, we're overseeing. And I'm going to highlight a couple uh, for you. For example, testing and supplies. So, testing has been key from the get go of this pandemic, and it's had numerous challenges, including the fact that CDC had difficulties getting a diagnostic uh, test kit available for COVID. And we didn't have all of the supplies to be able to even do the testing once that came out, followed by long lines, slow turnaround times. But people don't want to wait days, if not weeks, to be able to find out if they test positive to COVID. Plus, we also have a flag that not having a national, comprehensive, publicly available testing plan has also impeded our, our nation's response. And, and supplies, I'm sure you everyone by now is familiar with the word strategic national stockpile, which before probably wasn't on their radar, but it's meant to augment the states. And this was quickly depleted at the onset. And so the states are competing for global supplies that are globally in demand. And so supplies is something else that we keep our eyes on, among many other issues.
0: So, I'm sure that data plays a huge role in your oversight. How do you use data in healthcare audits and also with COVID 19, which has had so many factors and sources of data that might be difficult to tap?
1: Yeah, so data is absolutely key to our work, um, particularly if you think about it with relation to public health, since public health data really starts at the local level. And then that local jurisdiction passes on the public health information to the state, which then gets rolled up to uh, the federal level. So, for example, at testing, as you know, if you go down to get a test right now, you're getting it done locally. And so that information then eventually gets rolled up and gets sent to the federal. But communicating clearly what the data should include and getting that data in a timely manner is absolutely critical during an emergency. And COVID has really highlighted numerous problems with us being able to get good data on public health, and particularly during the COVID crisis. For example, not all the states actually collect the same data to report to CDC. Some states don't have electronic databases to be able to get the information there uh, in a timely manner and are actually using uh, fax machines. This makes it really hard for the CDC to be able to get an accurate national picture of the trends and what's happening. And data just doesn't come from the states and local jurisdictions. It also comes from other departments, such as Veterans Affairs and DOD. And there's more than just CDC collecting data. There's numerous agencies within HHS. So really, the bottom line that we've determined is that, particularly as it relates to COVID-19, is the information that is collected and that was reported by the states and other entities in the federal government is often incomplete and and inconsistent. And so again, it makes it hard to get that national picture of what's really happening with this disease. And that's important not only to understand its spread, but it'll be important as we get into the recovery phase.
0: One area of reporting with the pandemic that you've done is the impacts of the Food and Drug Administration's inspections. So can you go into what factors have led the FDA inspections to face backlogs and how the FDA has responded to recent reports that you have brought to light?
1: Sure. So yes, we have quite a large body of work that's gone over for a couple of decades looking at FDA's oversight of the safety and effectiveness of all the drugs that are marketed in the U.S., including those that are manufactured overseas. And overseas um, drug development has really increased in recent years. Typically, FDA conducts about 1,600 inspections of foreign and domestic manufacturing establishments each year. But in light of the pandemic, along with other types of inspections that FDA has done since March 2020, FDA is significantly limited the foreign inspections that it's been doing for the safety of its employees, and it also limited the number of domestic inspections it was doing as well. So in order to ensure the oversight of those, the safety of those drugs that are manufactured, FDA is using what they call alternative inspection tools. Um, So for example, they're doing document reviews. They're relying on inspections conducted by foreign regulators in Europe, which also, by the way, are impacted by the inspections. They're sampling and they're testing drugs at the borders, for example. Um, So while these tools are important information that help FDA to get an understanding of, of the quality of the drugs that are overseas, they're not, in most cases, generally a substitute for an FDA inspection. And so where that comes into play is that they haven't been able to conduct those inspections overseas. And now they're facing a backlog, which really threatens their ability to be able to conduct these going forward. We've also reported that FDA's had resource constraints. So if you add the resource constraints and the challenges with just ensuring that they can get the normal level of inspections done on top of a pandemic, which is now being prolonged, obviously, it's, we're not done with the pandemic yet, um, that backlog is going to continue to grow. So we've had a variety of recommendations over the years, but ones that pertain specifically to this backlog is to ensure that FDA take into consideration this backlog as they figure out how they're going to accomplish their goal of doing risk-based driven inspections. And then they also need to consider these alternative tools that they're using and potentially new ones. For example, they, they are looking at uh, using remote inspections, like with a camera that could be done remotely. So they really need to figure out how, if any of these other alternative tools could help them with that backlog. And they've agreed to on both of the recommendations and and they're making uh, moving forward and we're keeping our eyes on it.
0: Wow, that sounds like um, a lot that they have to face, but luckily your work is helping FDA move in the right direction. Speaking of backlogs, has the push to oversee COVID-19 create backlogs in any of GAO's normal healthcare oversight work?
1: Admittedly, like FDA, um, you know, it's difficult not to have a backlog when your workload increases or when you have to divert resources to a a different direction. And our workload has increased in response to Congress mandating that we oversee the federal efforts to address the pandemic. Um, But we do have other mandated work, which we are legally obligated to do. So that work does continue. And internally, we have to prioritize just like other agencies are facing uh, priorities at this time. We've also worked with Congress to prioritize the work that they request. So our work is not only mandated by law, but it also comes in by request from members of, of, excuse me, from committees um, in Congress. Um, So we've tried to prioritize that work and work with everyone so that we can uh, best meet our clients' needs. Of
0: course. And um, I also wanted to talk about the way your oversight of COVID-19 has evolved. You sort of mentioned some of the work you did, but over the course of the pandemic, the government responsiveness to covid nineteen has changed greatly from the politics to the science and the public health effects. So how have these changes impacted g a o s healthcare oversight yeah so.
1: Our work really is grounded um, in facts. And so responding to the, the question about how it's changed in, in light of, of politics and, and changes in administration, because we're grounded in the facts and that our comptroller general who leads our agency is appointed for a 15-year term, we consider ourselves to be apolitical and nonpartisan and fact-based. So politics really doesn't impact our work. What we do is we stay up on the science and then specifically for the COVID um, aspect of it, we're looking at agency efforts to address the pandemic as it changed to that science changing. I mean, it is going to change. You're going to have better information on when you should get vaccinated, when you should get tested, when you should um, wear a mask. And so we try to keep up on that science so that we can then best direct our work in that direction. I do want to mention that GAO does have work looking at the scientific integrity behind HHS decisions. We've already reported out on the importance of sharing the science behind changes to testing guidelines and the authorization of emergency use therapeutics so that those informed decisions can be made and public can understand the rationale behind any of the changes. So that's that's one of the way that we try and, and look a little bit at the any politics that could be interfering. Yeah,
0: of course. I just wanted to add a little bit there and you know, ask you, based on the scientific evidence you've seen, what are some of the best practices that we should be looking at with COVID-19?
1: Yeah, so communication is absolutely key. We have previously reported after the um, H5N1 uh, pandemic, which obviously didn't reach the, the uh, magnitude that we have now, but um, that that communication is key. So for example, when are the vaccines going to be available? How are they going to be distributed? And if an H5N1, for example, they had a vaccine distribution that left it up to the states. And so one state looking at another may wonder, well, how did they get that allocation and why did they do what they did? So that communication is absolutely clear, uh, important, and it needs to be very concise with one message. And so uh, we have ongoing work that will look at the communication and lessons learned during the pandemic. And as I mentioned, we've already reported out on the need to have clear communication when it comes to making decisions and to ensure that they are based on science. For example, an- another example was uh, when to get tested. So we know that this virus can infect some people and they can be asymptomatic. And at one time during the administration, there was a guidance that went out that said that asymptomatic individuals did not need to be tested. And so that was questionable. Um, And then we had a recommendation that said, could you please ensure that you always put the science behind any of the decisions that you make? So GAO was hoping that by keeping our eye on the agency efforts and ensuring that we're fact-based, grounded in science, that we'll be able to help contribute to a clear message that goes out to the public so they can make informed decisions.
0: Of course. And I think uh, what you just touched upon there is so important as we move forward, considering just the state of where we're at. So amid all this darkness with COVID-19, we've clearly seen that the virus is going to persist through the fall and perhaps moving forward. So what do you see coming up on your plate as you continue to oversee the pandemic?
1: Yeah, well, there's no question we're not out of the woods yet. And we are very much in a response. Um, so we've been tracking uh, the vaccine efforts, the efforts to vaccinate um, America as we go forward. And we're going to look at it, like right now, for example, they're monitoring whether booster shots are needed and they're beginning to have um, opinions on that, whether it's the messenger RNA vaccine or the Johnson & Johnson, one of the three vaccines that have been approved here in the U.S. That will obviously continue. We will definitely continue looking at testing. Testing is not only important for Understanding the current spread of the virus, but then understanding, you know, where do we have pop-up cases as we go into recovery, so that we can understand when we can safely begin to resume some some sort of normalcy. I'm not sure what post-pandemic is going to look like, um, but that testing is still going to be key. Supplies are going to be key. I mean, we're beginning to see a surge in the Delta and other variants that are coming forward, and we're beginning to see long lines again and being able to have access to those tests and access to supplies to ensure that our frontline workers and others are safe. So that work is not going to go away. And we also will have work related to lessons learned. GAO is in a unique position to look across the federal government to be able to pull together and do kind of an analysis based on the year's worth of work and what the agencies have said needs, needs to be improved to be able to uh, provide Congress and the American people with lessons learned so that we're not, in this, we're not in this position again if something were to happen in the future. And I will say one last other thing, sorry, is, is just recovery. Recovery is really important. So just because our response ends does not mean we're done. There have been a lot of impacts on COVID-19 in many different ways on individuals. And so looking at the recovery, the mental health, the opioid use, all of those are going to be very important um, issues for uh, GAO to continue to look at as going forward.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a great point. Before I let you go, are there any parting words or pieces that we missed here today that you'd like to tell our audience?
1: I think that we hope that by the work that we're doing, you know, they're spending $4.7 trillion The federal government is, um, and there is a lot of information that's out there. If I could have anything to say to the public, and that is that GAO tries very hard and we pride ourselves on having fact-based information to help make informed decisions. And so going forward, we hope that we can help to continue the government uh, to combat and to be better prepared, because as bad as the pandemic has been, there are worse things that could come down the pike. And there's not only other natural things that could happen in light of global warming and our interaction with animals and that one health concept, but um, there's also bad guys out there. There's intentional attacks that could happen. And so we are working with the federal government to ensure that we can be as best prepared as possible.
0: Well, I hope that you continue your work too and continue to help us figure out you know, the important things and uh, to continue bringing about accountability and just to generally help the government move forward in a smoother way. So thank you for your work.
1: Thank you. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris and Adam Patterson, If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.